Welcome to the Highway Church Podcast. We're excited for you to join us today. To find out more about us, visit highway.com.au. I'm going to get straight into it this morning. I'm going to be reading from Acts chapter 11. Feel free to join me or it'll be on the screen as well. Acts chapter 11, I'm going to read from verse 1. It's an interesting passage here because... This is just such an interesting thing that's happening in the life of the early church. I'll read from verse 1 and then I'll explain more. Now the apostles and the brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God, which was blowing their minds on a side note. This was like, what? God's not just the God of the Jews. He's not just our God, but he's their God as well. Verse 2. And when Peter came up to to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, you went into uncircumcised men and ate with them? These guys were cut. Literally, it's a bad joke. Let's move on. Verse 4. But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object ascending like a sheet, and let down from heaven by the four corners. And it came to me, and when I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and bird of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. Sorry for the vegetarians in the room. It's not a great message. But God was actually showing Peter a vision here, but it wasn't about food. It was about something greater. Let's continue the story. But I said, no, not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. Verse 10, now this was done three times and all were drawn up into heaven again. At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Then the Spirit told me to go with them doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house and said to him, send me to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, as upon us in the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord. He said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God has given the same gift he's given to us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? Verse 18, and I'll finish here. When they heard these things, they became silent and glorified God, saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. I've titled this message, Us and Them. Us and Them. This is like revolutionary for the church, the early church. This is totally mind-blowing that these guys that were in, the Jews thought that God was their God, which is great. (laughs) But he was us, and they weren't quite sure about them. And, And as God started to move, which was greatly in reference to Stephen, the first martyr, because when he was killed, all the Christians got scared, or they weren't called Christians then, All the followers of the way got scared and they spread everywhere. But what they took with them was a message of Jesus. And so this is starting to spread. And these Gentiles, these guys that weren't first in, are starting to come to know God. And and these guys are like, I'm not sure about this. They call Peter in for questions saying, hey, wait a minute. Did these guys receive God? 
Th- th- them? Like, them. It's so interesting. This was a mind-blowing thought that God loves, that God desires, that God forgives, and that God imparts the Spirit to them. We have a pretty massive us and them culture today, would you agree? And it was no different in, in these times here. And us and their mindset, though, has massive flaws with it because it's almost allowed and empowered terrible things to happen. I mentioned Stephen a moment ago. He's a little bit earlier in the book of Acts, a few chapters earlier. And, and this Stephen guy is really, really incredible. They, they have a problem because they had a few complaints in the suggestion box. We have a suggestion box at Highway. It's daniel.russell at highway.com.au. If you want that, Pastor Dan will be able to handle any of those suggestions. But, but the widows are missing out on their fair share of the food. So these guys come to complain to the apostles. They're like, wait a minute, I don't know if we should spend our whole time instead of preaching, man. Maybe we should anoint some guys. So they found, and, and I love how the, the Acts put it, the, the writer of Acts, Luke, here, he goes, um, oh, we need men full of the Holy Spirit, of good character. And literally, these guys were going to be waiters and administrators, and their prerequisites that they had to be men of integrity and full of the Holy Spirit, or people of integrity and full of the Holy Spirit. How cool is that? So Stephen gets appointed, this administration job, or this waitress, waiter job. And, but the thing is, is that he took God with him because <laughs> he was full of the Holy Spirit. And signs and wonders start to happen and miracles start to happen. And he wasn't just ministering food, but he was ministering the Holy Spirit with him, which is our job, side note. And as he's ministering, then these guys are going, wait a minute. <laughs> what's, Peter, what, what's Simon doing here? Sorry, not Simon. What's Stephen doing here? He's supposed to be ministering food, but he's ministering the Holy Spirit. Miracles are happening. These guys start to get indignant, and they call him in for questioning. He preaches an amazing message to them. But towards the end, it gets a bit pointed because he almost accuses them of part of the reason why Christ had to be crucified. These guys get really, really angry, indignant, and they it's terrible. They start throwing rocks at Peter. I mean, Peter again. I keep saying Peter. They start throwing rocks at Stephen until he literally passes away. And, and Stephen's final words are, hey, forgive them, just like Jesus. Forgive them. They, they don't know what they're doing. And he becomes the first martyr and leads to the spread of this Jesus message to the world. This is what an us and them culture can do. These guys were in. And Stephen was ministering without their permission. He was ministering to anyone to the least of these, how did we get to this point? That we could murder someone because they didn't follow the rules that we put in place. This is what an us and them culture can do. Jesus shares in Matthew 5, and he has this whole passage there, but the whole point of the passage is that what he says is that murder begins in the heart. You see this issue with Stephen and these guys throwing rocks at Stephen, it wasn't a murder issue, it was a heart issue. It was an us and them issue. I find it really interesting that when Jesus sort of touches on this whole us and them thing, because it was rampant in his day, just like it is in ours. The Pharisees thought they were us. (laughs) But Jesus treated the Pharisees as though they were them. Jesus' biggest enemy in the Bible in, in his time on earth, it wasn't the least of these. 
It wasn't those that seemed to be caught in sin. It wasn't those that seemed to be struggling and breaking the law. It was those, the hypocrites at the top, that thought they were us. (laughs) Jesus is like, you're them. Jesus slams the scribes and Pharisees. He calls them a brood of vipers in Matthew 12 and Matthew 23. He calls them whitewashed tombs in Matthew 23 as well, which is saying, hey, you look good on the outside, but on the inside, you're dead. On the inside, your spirit needs to be breathed fresh life into it. So if the scribes and Pharisees, the guys that thought they were us, were really them, it leads me to this next question, who are we? Are we the us? Or are we the them? (laughs) If the guys in Jesus' day, they thought they were us, but they ended up being them, and we think we're us, are we us or are we them? I don't mean to be confusing, but maybe sometimes it's our opinion that there needs to be a them that causes us to be a them. Second question, does there have to be a them? We just saw that update from Stevie and the Reaching Thousands Foundation, which was awesome. We can justify doing nothing when we see them as them. But when we realize that they're us, we, we can't. We cannot justify doing nothing when we see that they are us, not them. Jesus had been called the friend of sinners, and I feel like he was almost proud of that title. So should we be. John 3.16, such a well-known passage. For God so loved us. <laughs> For God to love those that thought they were in. For those that were born into a Jewish family in the right time, in the right era. For God so loved those that went to church every Sunday and had Christian parents. It's not about that. For God so loved the world. Church, we would do well if we would get rid of them and we realize that it's just us. Just the humanity that God loved so much. That he would send his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. The apostles in Acts were blown away. Wait a minute, God, God, you love them? God, you give your spirit to them? To those people. They weren't circumcised like us. They weren't growing up in this Jewish culture. They hadn't visited the temple. They didn't observe all the holy days, all the traditions, and yet your grace and your mercy reaches even to them. So my question is this. I've got a lot of questions. Who's our them? Who is our them? I feel like our society is so polarizing at the moment. But when I read the Bible, I'm almost relieved that it's nothing new. But the solution isn't repeating what's happened. The solution is going, hey God, Show me your heart for these people. Can Cornelius and his family be saved? Yes, they can. Peter showed us that. Can your spirit minister to those people that were once excluded or once didn't fit? Yes, they can. Who's our enemies? Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 44. He said, but I say to you, love your enemies. 
Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. How are we doing with that? I would much rather it say hate your enemies. Love those who love you. Do good for those who do good for you. But it doesn't. Who is our enemy? Who is our them? There's, there's a lot of stories in the Bible that highlight this to me, one of which that I really personally love is Jonah, the story of Jonah. God literally sends him to his enemies and say, hey, tell them this, because <laughs> I'm about to destroy him. He goes there eventually after the whole whale situation or the big fish situation, we know the story. And then all of Nineveh, they repent and turn to God, and Jonah's almost sitting back at the end of it and is sobbing. He's like, ticked off. And then he quotes like, I think it's Exodus 33, isn't it, when God shows, reveals who he is? Slow to anger, compassionate, gracious. Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, bound in love and forgiveness. And, and he's like, I knew you were good, God. <laughs> Jonah's ticked off. He's having a pity party. I knew, God, I knew. I knew you'd set me up. I knew that if I went and preached to my enemies and told them that, you know, repent because the kingdom of heaven's here, this message that Jesus later on preached, I knew, <laughs> I knew that you'd be good to them. And now I look like an idiot because a whole city is saved. Wait up. Jonah, you look like an idiot because God used you to save a whole city? But then I understand it from an Old Testament prophet perspective because if he'd prophesied something and it didn't happen, this guy's in danger for his life, literally. And he's stuck in this conundrum of, God, you saved the whole city. <laughs> but now the ice is getting pretty thin where I am because now you've made me a false prophet, God, because I knew you were good. Who's our enemy? We may not have physical enemies that we're warring with, but we've all got that person in our life. Who is it? Sometimes I think we need to sit down and write down the people that we're offended with. Just roll with me for a second. This is, I know this is confronting. But we always need to sit down and write down the people that we're offended with, the people that we're holding unforgiveness to, the people that we're not letting off the hook for these things in our life. Because when we name them, <laughs> That's when the challenge begins. Because we're like, no, no, we don't have any problems. I'm really confronted personally with this at the moment, so I hope it blesses you as well, or actually I hope it challenges us as well. Because when we name our enemies, then when we read the Bible and it talks about our enemies, we can picture people, we can quote names, we can quote situations that we're still offended or ticked off by, and then it makes it really real, and then we have a choice. Are we going to soften our heart, or are we going to keep them as them? Are we going to realize that that person that's our enemy, or that we're offended with, or that ticked us off, or that ripped us off, or that did those terrible things to us? Until we realize that they are us, we're stuck being a them, if that makes sense. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for 
You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Just stop for a second. Who's that person that you really ticked up? Who's your enemy? Just picture that person for a second. And then I wonder if we could flip Psalm 23 and look at it from a different angle. See, because I've always read you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies as I'm sitting down, God's blessing me and all my enemies, and I'm there going, look at this, suckers. God's blessing me, and you're missing out. Which is a fair interpretation. Can I get an amen? I've even quoted it like that. I've stood on that word of God and said, no, no, God, you're going to bless me, and those guys are going to get it one day. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. But what if the story was like this? God invites you over for a banquet, you sit down, all your favorite foods there on this table, like all the good things, like I don't know what that is for you. I feel like corned beef is a bit of a controversial thing. I love it, but some people are like, what, that's lame. (laughs) Whatever it is, whether it's roast or what's your favorite meal, I don't know what your favorite food is, but the table is filled with everything that you love. And you and God are there and you're having this great banquet and you're just loving it and you're like, God, you're so good. This is awesome. God, this is so good. I love that. You knew I love those roast potatoes like that, God. Are they double cooked? Are they twice cooked potatoes? That's my favorite. But then there's a knock at the door. And God opens the door and your enemy walks in. Like literally that person. How's the vibes in the room then? Are you still loving it? Is God so good? Are you still loving the food? Or is it the awkwardest situation in the world because you've got so much bitterness and so much unforgiveness towards that person? Because them, because of them. And the banquet goes from being awesome to really sucking. And God's there, so you can't pretend like, you know, like you can't hide anything. So you're like, this is awkward, God, thanks. What's wrong, Caleb? Well, why'd you invite them? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my my life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What happens if when we get to the house of the Lord (laughs) one day, them are there? What if we'd got through our whole life hating these people group or this person or our enemies and we get to heaven one day, whatever that looks like, and they're there. Is that good or is that bad? What are you trying to say, Caleb? I'm trying to say this. In Acts 11, the apostles were blown away because God wasn't just their God anymore. But they had this revelation that God was humanity's God. For God so loved the world, and they're like, wait a minute, you've got to do this and do that, and God's just pouring out his Holy Spirit upon whoever he wants, and, and Peter's there, and he's going, they received the Holy Spirit just as we did. I think God's in this, and, and the other apostles are like, oh, I'm, I'm not sure. Let's do a bit of research. Are we them, or are we us? I think we're all us, and our job is to treat the world like Christ did, for God so loved that he gave. 
We're us, <laughs> and so are they. We're us, and so are they. Let's pray. God, I just lift up your church to you today. God, whether online or in the room right now, God, I just pray, Lord, that something that I've spoken about would challenge us, God, to see people the way that you do. God, in this moment right now, God, we lift any offenses or any people that we've got bitterness or resentment towards. God, we lift up our enemies to you. And just like you spoke in your Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, we pray a blessing over them. God, those people that have wronged us, even those scars that we still feel today because of the situations and circumstances we've been put through, God, we release your blessing on them. And as we do that, God, I pray that you would release the bondage that we've held on because of that. And God, I pray for a fresh wave of forgiveness in our lives. I pray for a fresh wave of freedom in our hearts. God, I pray, Lord, that we would see the rest of the world as you do, children of you. God, I just pray for your blessing upon us. God, I pray that it's not about us and them anymore, but it's about us encountering you and wanting all to experience the love and forgiveness that we've shared. Maybe you're here today. And maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. Maybe you've never started a relationship with him. You may be in the room or you may even be watching online right now. I just want to extend an invitation to you. What this will look like will, in you in the room, if you're in the room, it'll look like you're lifting your hand literally so we can identify you and explain this decision after the service. But online, there's a link that you can press. It'll pop up right now in the lower thirds. But if you want a fresh start, you're in the right place today. If you want to receive something fresh from God today, you're in the right place. So if you, you're here online or in the room and you want to say yes to Jesus for the first time, I'd love to see your hand. Just give me a wave and we'll catch you after the service or we can follow you up midweek. Are you here? Say, yeah, Caleb, that's me. I want to say yes to God.